Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za giving. You can see how David and God's people gave towards the building of the temple and the servicing of the temple. And uh, when you hear that word giving, maybe it's your first time here, you think, no, no, not again. Not another church that I come to and they're just going to talk about money. Uh, Well, come again because it's not every week. Uh, (laughs) But today we are going to talk about giving and Uh, It does have a bad reputation, and I think rightfully so, because in many churches it is the focus. It's really what they're about. Church is simply a business and uh, a money-making venture, a franchise, and uh, people try and spiritualize it as well in very ungodly ways. I found some quotes. Joel Osteen says this, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. And so Joel Austin, when he reads the Bible, if he reads it, I don't know, um, sees that uh, God wants everyone to be rich so that you can fulfill your destiny. So the destiny for everyone is to be rich. When I read my Bible, I don't find that. I see that uh, a lot of people were not rich. In fact, the Lord Jesus himself was not rich. He had nowhere to lay his head. Uh, he didn't even have money. He had to ask others and said, you know, someone give me a coin. Uh, when I read about the Apostle Paul, I see that he suffered terribly. Kenneth Copeland says, you get spiritually rich and you'll get financially rich. And so this is the great, the great theme that really if you, if you are not rich financially, it means you're not spiritually rich. And so if you are struggling financially, if you're in poverty... Uh, If you're in financial problems, that's really symptomatic that you're not right with God. It's an abominable doctrine. Um, It is really judging by appearance and by bank account, uh, and it is ungodly. Creflo Dollar, I'm sure that can't be his real name. I'm sure that's... that's that's, Tells you something about what he believes. But he says this, this is probably the most blasphemous. He says, Jesus bled and died for us so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. And so he says, really, the reason Jesus came to die is so that you and I could be rich, to lay claim to financial prosperity, as though our biggest problem is financial and not our relationship with God and our sin. That's not what you're going to hear today, but we're going to try and see, well, what does the Bible say? The Bible does talk a lot about money and about giving, uh, but not in this this type of way, in a a much more wonderful way. And I think we can learn some beautiful lessons from this passage. So let's look at the text. We see from verse 1 that David calls this assembly. And he says to the assembly of all these leaders, 
He says, look, Solomon, my son, is young and he's inexperienced. God has chosen him and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So this temple that David was not allowed to build, his son Solomon, a man of peace, is going to build it, symbolizing that God's kingdom is one of peace. Uh, it's representative of the final state. The new heaven and new earth will be a place of peace. No more fighting. No more violence. Uh, no more threats and fear and uh, ungodly wars or anything like that. A place of peace. But he is to build this palace and this palace is for the Lord. It's not for man. This temple is not for man. Ultimately, it's for the Lord. And remember, we've seen that really the temple in the Old Testament is a shadow or a type of the New Testament church, the people of God. Not the building, but the people of God. We are the temple. We are the body of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the temple. And now we, if you're a Christian, you're part of that temple. Uh, and so let me say that the church is still ultimately not about you or me. It is about him. It is about God. The book of Ephesians, and especially chapter 1, tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and that all things are for his glory. Uh, one of our members sent me a message that her daughter asked about why did God create everything. And the Bible says that God created everything for his glory. And it is true with the church as well. It is for his glory. When you serve, when you give, when whatever you do for God's kingdom... It is ultimately for his glory, not primarily about you or me, about building our ministry or um, your empire or your influence or anything like that, but about building his kingdom and his glory. Now Solomon's primary project is, and goal is to build this temple. That's what he is given to do. And then, then we go into David talking about what he has given. And I've really divided the most of the rest of the chapter into three headings uh, the giving the attitude when giving and the motivation for giving so we're going to jump around a little bit it doesn't break neatly into those three sections but these are lessons that we can learn so the first is the giving of david and the people and so you can see from verse 2, he talks about how he gave gold and silver and wood and iron and all of these things and precious stones. Uh, these were all things that he had collected uh, on his many, many battles, the treasure that he had accumulated as they conquered the enemies of God's people. And he had stored this. This was not his private wealth. This was uh, the country's wealth that had been stored and preserved for the building of the temple. But on top of that, David says, I'm also going to take my own private wealth and I'm going to give all of that. And look at what he says in verse 3. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And he says, I'm going to give it to God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, very, very uh, special gold, very pure gold. 7,000 talents of refined silver. And so these are huge amounts. It's hard to, to often quantify figures from the Old Testament. But a talent was about 10 years worth of pay for a, a manual labor, laborer. Okay? So 3,000 talents of, of gold is a substantial amount. Uh, 
people trying to do, you know, convert it to today's money. He said it's around about $5 billion, okay, that he commits to, to the temple. But it's not just David. It's also all the leaders. Verse 6, Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, and the tribes, the leaders of tribes, etc., etc., Verse 7, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold. That was a, uh, just a, a, a currency. This was probably changed a bit later. Probably was called something else earlier on. Uh, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Huge amounts. This is lavish, generous giving. Uh, and that's the implication. That's the picture for God's people. We are to also give generously to God's work. And then, it's not just that, that they're um, giving towards a building. Uh, look at, at verse 7. They gave for the service of the house. So remember, they had to build the temple. David had laid up all the materials for the building of the temple. We've seen that already in, in First Chronicles. He had stored up all the stone and the wood and the gold and everything. But now they're giving extra for the service of the temple. So remember that the temple is this building, but then it needed money to run. It needed money to support uh, the priests who served there. It needed money to care for the needs of the community, for the poor and for all the ministry needs. And so they give towards that, very similar to, to us today. Uh, the financial giving is used to support those in ministry to continue to do evangelism and to support all the various ministries and discipling of people, so evangelizing and edifying people, uh, caring for the poor in our midst, trying to help other churches uh, that are in need. These are all the reasons why we give. And it was the same at this time. Notice that after they've given, they also celebrate. So jump down to... Verse 20, David is, is overwhelmed with the, the giving of God's people. And he says, look, we need to praise God. We need to give thanks to him, bless the Lord. And they begin to give sacrifices. And again, huge amounts. They, give a th they sacrifice a thousand bulls and a thousand rams and a thousand lambs. And there's drink offerings. And they, they eat and drink. It's a time of great rejoicing. And so again, there's this, this giving to feasting as well, to enjoying and, and honoring God and enjoying fellowship with one another. And so that's the giving of God's people. And I hope you, you can you get the idea that it is not stingy, that it is generous. Uh, they gave. David, at the end of his life, gives everything that he has. Okay? So he, he, he says, I'm not, I mean, because you can't take it with you. You know what they say. There's no, you can't put a trailer on your hearse. Okay? <laughs> Uh, you can't take it with you. What are you going to do with it? Um, so he has just something. He has a practical thing. So when I did life insurance, it's a good thing to do, life insurance. Um, especially if, you, if you're married, have a family. It's a wise thing to do if you're able to do it. Uh, but they say, okay, so if you die, who gets it? And then they say, if they die, who gets it? And if they die, who gets it? Uh, and eventually, after I'd gone through you know, my family, <laughs> uh, it says... And then they say, well, what if there's total annihilation? Uh, it was quite an interesting phrase, um, like catastrophic implosion. It was total annihilation. And I was like, okay, that's quite 
disturbing. Uh, but if my whole family gets taken out, what am I going to do? And so I said, well, then I leave it to the church, okay? Uh, because that's the, the, my family, okay? And that's where we want to build God's kingdom. So there's just something for you to think about that's not commanded, but just we can be creative when it comes to, to giving. So the giving is lavish and generous. Now what about the attitude? Attitude when giving. There's several things that I want us to look at here. First thing is, look at verse 5. David says, who then will offer willingly? Uh, this, this word, the Hebrew word, occurs five times in this chapter. It's translated differently at various times. Jump down to verse 17. Um, well, verse 6 first, you can see there it says, in the ESV at least, at least it says a free will offering. Uh, verse 17, I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart I have freely offered all these things and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely. That's all the same Hebrew word. Okay? So free will offering, freely offered, offering freely, offering willingly. Uh, that's just different ways of translating the same Hebrew word. Okay, so I uh, just want to do a little detour, like a theology detour for the theology nerds. Because some of you, when you see the word free will, you're like, free will? Uh, <laughs> is there such a thing as free will? I knew there was free will. Uh, these Calvinists are crazy or other way around, whatever it is. So let me just say, uh, the word free will is not in the text. It's, it's a voluntary offering. Uh, let me just say on the theological side, uh, there is no such thing as totally free will. Your will does not sit in a vacuum. Okay? So some of you are not really worried about this. You can switch off for a few moments. I'll tell you when to switch back on. Uh, just as an aside, uh, your will does not sit in a vacuum. Your will is bound to your nature. Okay? You act according to your nature. You can't act otherwise. Okay? Think of a dog. A dog can only be a dog. Okay? It can't be anything else other than a dog. A sinner can only be a sinner, and a saint can only be a saint. And so we can only act according to our nature. Our will is connected to our nature, and we act out of our nature. Okay, so there is no such thing as free will in this philosophical sense to say, well, you just act randomly, and there is no influence at all, and you can do whatever you like. You can't. Uh, the Bible is very clear. The natural man cannot please God. Not may not, cannot. If you are not regenerated, you cannot please God. You are not able to please Him and you have no desire to please Him anyway. Uh, maybe you're sitting here and you're not a Christian. You say, I can become a Christian whenever I want. Okay, do it now. Do it now. Prove me wrong. Okay, uh, You'll see that you... And if you are a true Christian, you, can't, you cannot say, I will not be a Christian. You can't. Okay? If you are a born-again Christian, that's who you are. <laughs> that is your nature. You won't want to change otherwise. Okay? And so that's just a detour. So when it says free will offering, don't go on a tangent, it simply means they gave voluntarily. They were not coerced to do it. Okay? They were not forced to do it. There was no sword held to their neck and said, you better give to the temple or else. 
It was something they wanted to do. And so this is the, the attitude of their giving was one of voluntary giving. That's what we want to see. Voluntary giving. To give uh, not because you feel guilty, not because you feel forced or anything like that, but it is something that you want to do. Notice what verse 5 says. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord. Consecrating means being set apart. You belong to God. David is saying, uh, those who are consecrated must give to, to God's work. So let me say this. Anyone can give money. Okay? An unbeliever can give money. Uh, you'll notice we don't, we don't pass a, a basket around here. We don't pass a tray around. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But we, if you're an unbeliever or a visitor, we're not here asking you for money. That's why we don't do it. Uh, we don't want you to feel, oh, I better give some money. Let me see what you see. I've been at churches like that. I've, I've been there, you know, suddenly they're like. <laughs> and then, you, you know, the guy's standing there waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, that's not what we want. Uh, anyone can give, though. That's, that's, uh, that's not an issue. Uh, that's not something that, well, there's certain people who can't give. No, anyone can give, okay? Uh, but you can be, you cannot be consecrated and not give. Okay? You cannot be consecrated and not give. If you are set apart for the Lord, if you are totally devoted to God, you will give. Just a reality. You will. It will, be, it will be what you want to do. And so it's a good challenge to say, okay, but I don't give. I'm a Christian and I don't give. Well, then there's something wrong with your relationship with the Lord. Okay? If it's not, there's not an overflow of generosity, uh, if there's not an overflow of, of using your resources for the good of God's kingdom, then you're not truly consecrated. I'm not saying you're not truly saved, but you're not really being set apart properly. You're not wholehearted in your love for God. And so it's a good barometer, very challenging barometer. The other thing I want you to see here is that this word consecrated was, is normally throughout Chronicles, well, in the Bible, is often applied to or primarily applied to priests. But here it's applied to the people of Israel. Okay? And so it's all of God's people. That we are set apart and belong to God. Now, notice that the people respond to David. David has given them the example. David says, I'm going to give all of my wealth. I'm going to take all, all of my money, all of my gold and silver from my treasury and give it to the service of the temple. And then the people respond. Do you see that? And David is a type of Christ. Doesn't he point us to Christ in such a beautiful way here? The Bible says that Jesus Christ, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Okay. The writer Paul says in the, to the Philippians, he says that he laid aside those things. Didn't he? he humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a man, we talk about his humiliation. 
coming down and entering a physical body with all its weaknesses, coming into this broken world with all of its sin and ugliness. And he comes and he humbles himself, not born in a mansion, not born in a palace, but born in a, probably a, some sort of a cave or something like that, uh, with animals, uh, raised in poverty. His family were not wealthy. We know this. When they came to give sacrifices, they brought the, the, most, the, the, the cheapest sacrifices. Remember the sacrifices were tiered for different socioeconomic brackets, and they brought the lowest. And so he grew up in poverty. He became poor so that we might become rich. And so don't get confused now. This means, oh, so we can become physically rich. No, no, so that we can, we can know the riches of God's grace and mercy and being united and restored to relationship with him. But you see the image here is, what is it that will motivate us? Well, as you look to Christ and his example, that he laid aside all his glory. He laid aside the majesty and, and, and beauty of of heaven and entered into the world, surely we can give generously. Surely we can give sacrificially and change our standard of living as he did. And so how will you respond to Christ's lavish giving? The people responded to David's lavish giving by giving generously and we are called to do the same as we respond to Christ. The other thing with their attitude is that they gave joyfully. You can see this in verse 9. And the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now also notice the, the process there. They gave and then they rejoice. Okay. I challenge you, as you consecrate yourself more to the Lord and become more devoted to him and and voluntarily give, you will know joy. I, I tell my children, selfish and stingy people are not happy people. And that's the truth. You, you know, this week, put it to the test. See the stingy people at work. The person who doesn't want to help anyone else. Who won't ever, you know, be the person to fetch coffee for everyone. Who will never... Uh, go out of their way. You ask them to do the smallest thing. They're not happy. You know, it's not as though the less they help people, the more they become happy. You know that. They're always upset about something because they're not God and they can't control the world. Okay? But the person who lives sacrificially and helps and gives and cares, isn't it amazing? They, they grow in joy. And so these people gave, and the result was joy. Okay. Joy. Now what about the motivation? Okay, so that's the attitude. We're to give generously. We're to give lavishly, sacrificially. Uh, we're to, uh, to not be coerced, but to give voluntarily. Uh, we're to give joyfully. Now, how are we to do that? What is the motivation? How are we going to get that? Notice what David says in verse 3. He says that he has given because of his devotion to the house of God. So his love, his love for, for God and, and his kingdom. Okay. Doesn't that fit with what the Lord Jesus said? Seek first 
his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God will undertake for you. But seek first his kingdom. Motivation is love for, for us now, love for God and love for his people. Okay. You won't be generous if you don't love God's people. If you don't care about your brothers and sisters, you like think, well, I, I don't want my money to go to helping that person. I don't want, you know, I don't really like that pastor. I'd rather he, <laughs> uh, whatever it is. Uh, but if there's no love for God's people, so notice what David says, devotion for, for God's house. There must be devotion. But even more fundamental than that, look at David's prayer. It's a beautiful prayer from verse 10. As he sees the response of God's people and he, he's giving joyfully, God's people have responded in, a, in a, an amazing way, giving joyfully, the, the appropriate response is one of, of thanksgiving, just, just worship. And he comes to God in prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So notice what David does. Is he acknowledges that all things come from God. Later on he says, verse 14, For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you that's where you want to start if you think of it as my money well then it becomes a lot more difficult isn't that right because this is my money okay now notice what david does he says lord this is just from you this is yours okay so you have to first of all change your mindset to say it's not mine we are stewards that's all that we are we are placed here to care for God's creation, and he gives us things. And he says, yeah, take care of it. Take care of a husband, a wife, a children, finances, the church, uh, the sphere of influence that you have, the work that you do. Yeah, I'm letting you use these things, but I want you to care for them and look after them. But you can't take it with you, and you're going to have to give it back to me at some point. But our problem is we see, no, this is mine, and I worked hard for it, and it's, so it's mine, and so I'm not going to bless others or do good to others, but because you see it as yours instead of, this is from God. And David says, this is all from you. I heard a helpful analogy, um, of the, the, the parallel of renting a car. So if you rent a car, maybe you go on holiday somewhere, you rent a car, and they say, well, you, you know, you, you've booked the time, you say, well, I'm going to have it for three days, whatever, and then you, you take it back. Hopefully, you didn't throw a tantrum when you had to give it back. You didn't say, you know, this is my car, how dare you? No, you understood. You were simply steward, stewarding it. It was not your car, it was their car. Okay? And now it was time to give it back. So I think if we can change our mindset to say, no, this, whatever you have is from God. Okay? 
David repeats that many, many times to say, this, everything is from you, God. The throne is from, from God. Everything is from him, from him. Now, you can go and read the life of David and you say, but David, sure, David, David had a hard time. Remember, Saul tried to kill him. He was on the run, not just for like a few weeks or something, for years, years and years. He was hiding in caves, running away from Saul. He had to prove himself. In the beginning, when he becomes king, Saul's family don't want to support him, and the tribes of Saul don't want to support him. He has to win them over. He has to keep proving himself. He has to keep working hard and his integrity, all of these things. You say, no, but David earned this. David went to, to fight. He had courage, and he fought, and he won these victories and got this money. So you'd say, no, but really it's David. David did all of these things. But David says, no, 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 you don't understand grace. Who made David good at fighting? David says, it's you, Lord. Lord, you strengthened my arms for battle. God made him a warrior. God made him great with a sword. If you're successful, business, good-looking, healthy, was that you? It was grace. It's God's grace. Paul says the same things. I read it in a, in a Grace Gem email this morning. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Paul says this, Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? It's absolute. No, I'm more self-disciplined. Who gave you self-discipline? I worked harder. Well, who gave you that impulse? Who gave you the strength? It's all from God. It's all of grace. Whatever finances you have is God's kindness to you. It's from Him. It's His. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives it to you. He says, yeah, I want you to steward it. And David says, well, we just get to give it back to you. Look at what he says in uh, verse 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? You see, his mindset is totally different. David isn't like, oh, we have to give, guys. Come on, we've got to give. Uh, we've got to do this. David says, what a privilege to give. Who am I that I get to give? See, see, see the, the, the change in thinking, the paradigm shift? May we have that mindset. Lord, what a privilege. Who am I that you would be so kind to me to save me, to give me employment, to give me money, resources, so that I can do good to others, so that I can help your kingdom? What a privilege. Remember the, the, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he talks about the Macedonian Christians. They were nowhere near as wealthy as the Corinthian Christians, and yet they were begging Paul for the privilege. They, they, they wanted to give more and more. It seems like Paul had to say, okay, just hold on a little bit, okay? That's, uh, just calm down. But they wanted to give. They were not wealthy, and they, were, they wanted to have an opportunity to give. They had David's mindset. What a privilege we get to give. Look at verse 15. For we are strangers to you and sojourners, as all our fathers, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. You see, your life is brief. You know what he's saying? It's like a shadow. James, it's vapor. Okay. Here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, Ecclesiastes, it's like smoke. 
It's, that's what your life is. It's very, very brief. What are you going to do? What's your legacy? Uh, you know, do something great. I, I watched a documentary movie about um, Nike shoes and uh, the uh, Michael Jordan's Air shoes and how Nike got to sign Michael Jordan. And the speech that, that got him to sign up was they said, look, we will make you immortal. That's what they said to him. We will make you immortal. Okay. I hope you realize that's a lie. Okay. <laughs> Having an, you know, your name on some shoes will not make you immortal. I guarantee you, a trillion years in heaven, nobody will care about Nike Air shoes. Okay. Uh, not even a trillion, the first millisecond, nobody will care, okay? <laughs> Who knows how great the shoes will be in heaven? Uh, they will be better than Nike Airs, okay? But, you see, what, so, so he's thinking, my legacy, I'll be immortal. He won't be immortal. What will your legacy be? You might be, you know, the biggest company in the world. The, the Louis Vuitton, who's that guy? French guy, Bernard Arnault with his massive, massive uh, fashion. What, you die, you leave it all behind. Those companies, General Electric, you've probably even heard of General Electric. That was the biggest company in the world about 20 years ago. Nobody now really sort of cares except people in finance. It passes. It passes and passes and you will not be immortalized, but you give to God's kingdom Forever that will be rejoiced. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. Give so that an entrance is opened up for you when you enter into glory. That you are welcomed. Okay. So that, that people that are converted here because you gave to ministry. Now they won't know, but in glory they'll know. They'll say, thank you for giving. Thank you. If, if you hadn't given to continue that ministry, I would never have been saved through what you did, through your generous giving, through supporting missionaries, through church planting, through all of these things. People are being saved and discipled and converted, and that's an eternal legacy. See what David is saying? Our life is brief. What are you going to live for? What legacy do you want? A legacy here that's short-lived? Or an eter a proper, eternal, immortal legacy in the kingdom of God. And again, he repeats, Lord, it all comes from you, verse 16. And the people gave. Well, it ends, it has the last sort of few paragraphs tell us uh, about David's death and how Solomon takes over and the Lord blessed him and uh, it was tremendous majesty and wealth for, for Solomon. He was able to build a temple, and we'll look at that in Second Chronicles. But notice the epitaph for, for David, verse 26. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned for seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. On a human level, that's sort of the best you can hope for. You live quite a long life, full, a full life, with riches and honor. Okay. But of course, in, in Christ's kingdom, these things are infinitely greater, aren't they? David has eternal life, 
And the more I, st- I study and read, the more I'm looking forward to, to meeting him. Uh, and he must, he's, a, he's a fascinating character, isn't he? An incredible man, incredible godliness, and yet broken as well. Huh? Uh, a, a profound, godly man, gifted in so many ways, and yet in, incredibly evil at times as well. And so we can talk to him about his experiences with the Lord and all of these things that he, he went through. And now he has eternal life. And he has, you know, I, I, uh, the church I grew up in would sort of uh, read Revelation in a very literalistic way. So I don't think you should do that. But it is, it, I, I appreciated one thing. You know what they make the streets of in, in the new heaven and new earth according to Revelation? Gold. Okay. The streets are made of gold. So the thing that we chase after the most is just make the streets out of it. Okay. We just make the streets out of that stuff. Okay. That's, it's going to be so incredible to be in the presence of the Lord. All the things that we, we, are, we are chasing after so much, well, we just, we, they're nothing because He's the one who satisfies. So live for, for Him. Receive honor from him. Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Okay. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for David. We thank you for his example here, how he points us to you, Lord Jesus, in, in a tiny way. Uh, What infinite condescension you experienced, Lord Jesus. You didn't just give away some of your money, even all of your money, but you left the glory of heaven. You entered into uh, this world, into weakness, into frailty. A human body that got tired and hungry, that grieved and wept. Even more than that, we, we battle to imagine what it must have been like for you, the Holy One, to walk on this earth surrounded by sin. You're so clean and perfect and beautiful. Uh, we, we can't understand it. There are times, uh, moments, where we, we, we get a glimpse of it. But you were absolutely perfect and innocent. And yet you are surrounded by blasphemers and murderers and adulterers and lustful people and hateful people and foolish bull and corruption and vice. And yet you still loved. Lord, you gave up all of these things so that we might be set free, might be truly rich might be set free from these petty idols, these foolish idols of gold and silver. Please help us to be a generous people. Help us to to see the privilege of giving and to give generously, to build your kingdom and to build an eternal legacy. Please do this by your spirit. In all of our hearts and minds, we pray. Amen.